Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, Ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself, with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand, because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he. 
the one who is speaking with you. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. I'd like to introduce to you, best I can, this Samaritan woman who was a woman of the world of her time. I could say that this divorced Samaritan woman had three strikes against her, even before she met Christ. First, she was a Samaritan. You might know that in the year 722 before the Common Era, the Assyrians conquered northern Israel. And these people there, the Samaritans, intermarried with these pagan Assyrians because they were the enemy and they were pagan. So devout Jews considered this the unforgivable crime. Now appreciate this, that for a strict Orthodox Jewish family back in the time of Christ, for a son or daughter to even marry a Gentile, sometimes they celebrated that child's funeral. They considered them dead to their family from then on. Perhaps you would recall the beautiful Broadway show, Fiddler on the Roof. Remember when the last daughter married a Gentile? The father, Tavia, never longer spoke and considered them dead. That's what their thinking was back then and there. More than that, religiously speaking, Samaritans were considered heretics by the Jews because they did not accept the books of the writings and the prophets in the Bible. And so they were banned from the temple in Jerusalem. Worse than that, if you can imagine this, when it came time to reconstruct the temple, the Jewish people had such a despised feeling toward the Samaritans that they did not even accept their financial donations. You've got to hate somebody pretty bad not to take their money. Furthermore, socially speaking, and I point this out because it's something to be noticed in this gospel, the Jews never talked to the Samaritans, nor vice versa. Almost as we might imagine Palestinians and Israelis having such a tense relationship today. And Jewish law even forbade a Jew from handling anything touched by a Samaritan because it would have made it unclean in their mind. So that was the first strike against this woman. She was a Samaritan. But secondly, she was a woman, which in the time of Christ made her a second-class citizen. Jewish law in first-century Palestine taught that women were in all things inferior to man. Just the opposite of what's taught today, right? The law of Moses, in fact, prescribed that when a woman married her husband, she became the property of her husband. Can you imagine? And in the temple, 
women were forbidden full access into the court of men, restricted with the children to the outer courtyard. And in public, the Jewish man was discouraged from even talking to another woman other than his wife because she would have been considered a temptation. It was common practice for a Jewish man to pray, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. As I said, just the opposite of what women pray today. Anyway, so you can imagine Jesus, how much he's going against the grain of his culture and his time. It's incredible. We need to just have that in the background. The third strike, besides being a woman and a Samaritan, we can imagine and deduce that she was a moral outcast. We're told, and the gospel opens by saying it's the sixth hour. The first hour was 6 a.m. when women would customarily come to the well to get the water they would need for washing the family and for cooking the meals to begin the day. In the sixth hour, which was high noon, now keep in mind this desert arid climate, no one came to the well. It was the hottest time of the day. And so for this woman to come at the sixth hour, we can only guess that she was coming in order to avoid the company of the other women of the town because probably considering the fact she had been married five times, five times, and that she was living with her boyfriend now, that she would have been the talk of the town. And so she wanted to avoid their condemning thoughts and words. So, with these three strikes against her, Samaritan, a woman, and a moral outcast, isn't it surprising that Jesus would take the initiative and break through all these barriers to develop and initiate this relationship with this woman? It's truly wonderful that Jesus reaches out continually to the down and out. It's his nature to look after the sinner. And so he initiates this conversation with this Samaritan woman, asking her, give me a drink. Now the Samaritan woman, speaking for her people, says, you are a Jew, you ask me, a Samaritan? And a woman for a drink? You hear these barriers that she's still holding up. Perhaps it reminds us of the barriers that we sometimes hold in the way of our relationship with Christ. By the prejudices we hold against each other. Because of our religious or denominational differences. Because of our theological or spiritual differences because of our personality or nationality and our differences, we can hold Christ out and at a distance. But Jesus says these words, if only you recognized God's gift. I think that's my favorite line of this gospel. I love to read it again. Can you hear these words as Jesus speaking them to us? If only you recognized God's gift. I think Jesus would be saying that to us all day long, don't you think? 
throughout the day, if only you recognize God's gift, we would understand that every moment is a sacrament. Every moment can be a sacrament, a holy moment of encountering Christ through the people of our life, through the events of our life, a living continually in the perpetual presence of our Lord. And Jesus is holding this gift of God out to her and says again, if only you recognize this gift and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you, in other words, I would give you living water. That is a wonderful style of writing that John the Evangelist often employs. And that is he will tell a story with a dual or double level. There's one thing on the superficial level, but a whole lot more going on on a deeper level. And he often uses words with double meanings. Living water had this double meaning. On the one hand, it meant flowing water, which the woman would have loved to have because flowing water meant it was a stream, like flowing fresh water, clean water, in distinction from cistern water from the reservoir that was a little more murky and dirty over time. So she said, well, of course, she would want this flowing water because she said, you know, I wouldn't want to have to come here all the time. But Jesus is saying something so much more. The second meaning of living water was from the Old Testament times. This was a symbol of the Holy Spirit that flows in us like water quenching our deepest thirst, filling us and cleansing us of all impurities. And so she says to her, Sir, now wait, how can you give me this water? You don't even have a bucket. If you can see anything, see in this beautiful dialogue that's happening, a typical dialogue of our own prayer, where we say to God, God, I tell you this, but how are you going to work in my life? She seems to Put Jesus off. You don't pretend to be greater than Jacob, do you? And of course, we, the reader, as John would masterfully suggest subtly, we understand Jesus is so much greater than Jacob, whose well he comes to. Because Jesus wants to lead us to his well. The question is, where is the well of his Holy Spirit? Hold that in mind, because that's where we want to go every day. Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Where are the wells where we go to have our thirst quenched? Think of wells as sources of inspiration, sources of strength. Don't we go to so many worldly wells, so many places, people, and events, they, you know, add excitement and fulfillment to our life. But Jesus says, none of these can ultimately or deeply fulfill us. None of these. Whoever drinks this kind of worldly water will only be thirsty again. But the water that I will give will be like a fountain leaping up to provide eternal life. Where's that fountain? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to look within. Like a well, I believe deep inside us, we need to look inside. And at first, like looking down a well, it may look dark and damp. We may get in touch with our emptiness, our loneliness, our neediness, all the brokenness and humanness of ourselves. But deep 
deep down beyond that will be our soul. God has placed his spirit that will always be there to sustain us and to strengthen us, to be for us all that God wants to be for us each day. Now, the woman is excited about this possibility, even though she's only superficially understanding him at first. She says, Lord, give me this water so I won't have to keep coming back to this well. She reminds me of a certain level of religion at the level of convenience, of people who come to church simply out of convenience to get it out of the way or just to satisfy ourselves, but not really to drink deeply of the waters of the sacraments, the grace of God the Lord gives us in the church. How is Jesus going to lead her from the superficial level to the deeper level? The same way I believe he leads us to that deeper level, by getting us in touch with our brokenness, our emptiness, our neediness. That's how you go down within that inner well. And so what does he say? Go call your husband and come back here. Obviously, Jesus is leading her on. He shifts the focus to her husband as if to put her immediately in touch with what I believe was her deepest thirst in life, which is for real love. Imagine this woman, as we might imagine single mothers today who thirst for a little time for themselves, as we might imagine people struggling in marriage who are thirsting and needing a little bit of love and support. Think of ourselves as we run such busy lives, tired out and dried out, huh? who need some grace to sustain us and support us and help us. Jesus wants to put us in touch with a deep down level of emptiness because there at the bottom of it all is his spirit waiting, wanting to fulfill us. But we must first come in touch with our emptiness because as Jesus leads this woman to realize and he does it by what? Revealing it, almost giving her her own confession. She says, you are right in saying you have no husband. The fact is you have five. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. I'd be scared to go to confession to Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, he's going to tell you, there's some great stories, you know, told about the great the curie of ours, St. John Vianney, because people would go to confession to him and he would he hear confessions all day long, 18 hours a day. But when people would, they would say a few things and then he would wait and pause and then add, I think he left some things out and then name some more. Padre Pierre was seen to have that same gift. The fact is, we all can be offered that gift. God wants to reveal our true self, and all I can say is this, many of us on the surface level, like the woman is seen, like to present a certain image of ourselves, like we've got it together, but the truth is otherwise. None of us have it together because it's the nature of the human condition to need God, to need each other, to again, constant need of his providence and guidance. Jesus simply wants to reveal that not in a way to expose her to embarrassment, but to expose her to his unconditional love. Isn't it interesting? Once she confesses 
Yes, this is who I am. I've never been able to have a healthy, loving relationship all my life. I've wanted nothing more than that. Can you imagine this is our heart cry and been the cause of our own broken heart? Jesus does not say to her, well, honey, get your act together and come on back. No. In fact, the Lord meets her right there where we need to be. My greatest concern is, I don't know if we always do this so successfully in the church. So oftentimes we give the impression to people, get your act together, then we'll have this relationship with you. Jesus had relationship, friendship with people and helped them get it together with God. That's the way we need to be with the Lord and be with each other. And he offers this non-judgmental and unconditional love. She's so touched by it. She must have thought, wow, I finally met the man of my dreams. And she moves from just calling him sir to saying, I see you are a prophet, but you speak truth. And then again, but she's afraid of that kind of love. And what am I to ask of her? She tries to change the subject. She says, now, help me understand this. Our ancestors worship on this mountain because that's Gerizim, because they couldn't worship in Jerusalem. So your people worship in Jerusalem. Our people worship God here. Where should we worship him? Well, can you imagine Jesus saying, honey, now, when have you ever worried about these kind of theological questions before? You're avoiding the real issue. And I think we do that too. I think we avoid the real issue when we avoid the issue within ourselves that cries for attention. And Jesus calls her to that. He says, believe me, woman, it doesn't matter where you worship God, either on this mountain or Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem, because time will come when we must worship him in spirit and truth. But can't you hear the Lord saying that today? That what matters is where are you with God and how is God with you? And then the woman takes another step forward. But these are small steps, baby steps like we take. Jesus once was just another man to a prophet, a great anointed one, now to the Messiah. She talks about the Messiah. And then Jesus says, I am he. I who speak to you am he. You know what that word I am means? It comes from the Old Testament phrase of Moses. When God first revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am. Yahweh in Hebrew means translated better to understand, I am with you. In other words, I understand that to mean what you are looking for is with you right before you now. Can we believe that our deepest hunger and thirst of our heart and souls is with us? The fulfillment of that is with us right here, right now. Even as we study this gospel, Christ is standing before us. Mary Jean offered me this beautiful Bible just before. And I opened up the Bible to the first page. And here's this beautiful picture of Jesus and the woman at the well. And I thought to myself immediately, whenever we open the Bible, there the Lord comes to us and speaks to us, offering us living water, inspiration of his Holy Spirit to help us in our deepest thirst, of course, for wisdom, 
but hunger and thirst for grace of God, whatever that amazing grace could be. So now something amazing happens to the woman. This is the greatest sign to me of her transformation that took place in a matter of minutes. Imagine what God can do if we just give him a window of opportunity. We're told that she left her water jar. To me, that's very symbolic because what she came for, her little bit, she left with the Lord. And as if to say she discovered something far better. It shows what we constantly are called to in in the spiritual life to leave behind those things we cling to. We turn little buckets, little sources of inspiration because we have an ocean of God's love and mercy. Why hold on to your little bucket? Dive into the ocean as we can when we enter the heart of God, the person of Jesus. Even as I speak, is not the Lord coming to us? Is not the Lord speaking to us? Is not the Lord inviting us to come and drink deeply of his love that knows no bounds, no limits, that will be that fountain stirring, bubbling over? Because look at the woman. It so fills her, now it overflows through her. She goes off to the village. She runs and says, everybody, come quick. I have met someone. Could this not be the Messiah? Now, mind you, this is a woman afraid of these people. And the people who look down on her, she's no longer held down by this fear. She breaks out of this image that held her bound. And ironically, as it often happens in the gospel and in our life, God uses those very people the world would call sinners and outcasts actually be the ones to be disciple and apostle for others. She leads them to Jesus. The people we least expect to lead us to the Lord, she's the one who leads the whole town to Jesus. Imagine, she is the greatest evangelist who simply shares her story. This is how Jesus touched me. This is how Jesus spoke to me. This is how Jesus transformed me. And that was enough to have them come and seek him. I believe this is what we must do with our families. We must simply keep sharing humbly but straightforwardly how the Lord has touched us and continues to fulfill us and let them then seek out the Lord, come back to church. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.